The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Well, we are starting a new series today uh, called How to Pick a Fight. And, uh, and so we're, we're doing this series alongside our brothers and sisters down at, at Axe Church in Lakeway. And we don't always do series alongside with them, but uh, we do once in a while. And the way it happens is uh, Pete, who's the pastor down there, he and I will, will talk. And if one of us has an idea for a series, we'll, we'll pitch it to the other guy. And, and if we like it, then we say, all right, we'll both do it together. Uh, and so this is Pete's idea. This is Pete's series. So if you don't like it, take it up with him. And uh, so anyways, but he first pitched it to me and he's like, yeah, hey, I got this idea we're, we're going to do uh, how to pick a fight. And, and he like laid it out to me. I thought, no, like I, I don't want to do this. This is, this is a bad idea. Like, you know, I get it. It's a cool sort of provocative title, but, but what are you really saying? Like, what, what are we really talking about with this idea of how to pick a fight? I mean, I'm, I'm a lover, not a fighter. You know, it's like, I, I don't want folks to think we're advocating violence or aggression. You know, like, this is just weird. You know, I said, Pete, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. And so I told him, this was back in like June when he came up with this idea, and I said, no, we're not doing it. And then we had VBS. We had VBS, and my mind shift changed. Uh, see, what happened one day at VBS was uh, we, we had our kids for vacation Bible school, and, and I was helping out with the Bible story. And it was an interactive story, and uh, the story that day was about the early church and how in the book of Acts, the early church is, is persecuted uh, by a man named Saul, who later becomes Paul and the first missionary in the Christian church. But anyways, how he was persecuting the, the early church. And so my wife, Melissa, was telling the kids the story, but it's interactive, so they, they'd run to different hiding places. And the idea is that they're hiding from Saul and trying not to get caught, and they'd wear these uh, disguises. And so she gave them all mustaches to wear so that, you know, Saul wouldn't recognize them. And, you know, it was just, it was really fun. Anyways, the idea was when, when they got to the last hiding place, I show up as Saul. And I got to be like really aggressive and I got a foam sword. And, uh, and I just say, hey, are you guys Christians? I'm looking for Christians, right? And so I, it was really intense. And so I ask them if they're Christians. And you know what the kids said? They said no. <laughs> said no. Saving their own hides, right? We even had one kid, my favorite response was, uh, well, she goes, no, we're not Christians. See, we all have mustaches. And everyone knows Christians don't have mustaches. Like, so, so I don't know if you got one right now. Adam, I know you're growing yours back, but um, it's trouble. It's trouble. Uh, but I won't lie to you. I was, I was a little taken back at their response, right? It's a little taken back by it. And I'm not picking on our kids. Like, I get it. You know, it's a game and it's kind of a big concept for a nine-year-old to wrap their minds around. Okay, so I'm not, not picking on our kids, pointing the finger at it. But it did make me think of sort of a, a current that's running under the American church. And that's a current of sort of convenience and comfort and apathy. That there's sort of this, this mood that hangs in the air that says, hey, I'll, I'll stand by my convictions. I'll hold to what I believe if I'm with the right people in the right place at the right time. But the second it becomes a little inconvenient, the second it, I, it makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable, then I'm out. Then I'm out. I'll just drop them. See, the reality is if we look throughout church history, it's built on the blood of the martyrs. Men and women who gave their lives for the sake of the gospel going forward. And I think about myself and how I freak out if the air conditioning isn't on here on Sunday mornings, right? And we have people, brothers and sisters around the globe right now that literally risk their lives to get together and hear God's word. And we show up when it fits our schedule. 
See, as American Christians, we're a little soft. We're a little soft. We're a little doughy. A little doughy. And so in this series, what we're doing is we're going to look at the stories of men and women in Scripture who aren't soft, who are strong, who stepped up, who fought the right fight. They held to their convictions when it mattered most. And so my hope in this series is that it actually would be a punch in the arm for us. That it would, it would open our eyes to see that there are things worth living for. That there are things worth dying for. And that there are things worth fighting for. And so some of you may say, like, okay, Gabe, I get it. Like, how to pick a fight, that's the series. But exactly what are we fighting? Right? Like, is this some sort of weird, like, culture wars thing? You're going to turn into Pat Robertson, Jerry Falwell up there? No, it's not going to happen. Never going to happen. If you're waiting for it, go somewhere else. Okay? Um, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about us critically looking at where God has you right now. About you looking critically at where God has you right now and recognizing where he's asking you to fight. And it may be fighting against something or for something, but recognizing what that is. And so for some of you, it could be internal. For some of you, it could be a, a particular sin a particular thing that just constantly won't leave you, that eats away at you. And God's saying, hey, you got to step up. you got to fight against that. For some of you, it could be fighting for something. That you're fighting for your family. That you're fighting to raise your kids well. Or that you're fighting for your marriage to keep that together. For some of you, it could just be a totally spiritual thing. That you're fighting against spiritual apathy in your own life. That you're, you're fighting to say, I've got to follow Jesus, I've got to do it. And you're, you're fighting for yourself to be able to do that. And there are some of you where maybe God is calling you to fight for something in a more public way. That maybe you're in a place right now and you know there's a, a system of injustice that's taking place and God's asking you to step up. Or maybe he's got you in a place where there's maybe some shady ethics going on at work and he's asking you to step up. Or maybe he's asking you to speak the truth in love to someone and that's hard to do. Each one of us has some sort of fight. There's different places in our lives where we're called to step up and pick a fight. And so our first story we look at is this guy, Jonathan. And Jonathan shows us how to pick a fight. He shows us what that looks like. Uh, but before we get to his story, I want to give a little bit of his context. Uh, Jonathan is the, the son of the first king of Israel, whose name is Saul. And, uh, and Saul's king of Israel, and, and the, the whole reason he's king, the whole reason Israel exists is because about a thousand years before our story, God called a man named Abraham. And God said to Abraham, hey, through you, I'm going to create a nation of people. And those people are going to be a blessing to the whole world. And people are going to know who I am because of who they are. And so Abraham's you know, thrilled about this. And so a thousand years later, this nation exists, and it's the people of Israel. And, and they're, they're ruled by God. It's a theocracy, right? God's, God's the ruler, and, and uh, he has some judges and some prophets that you know, help with things on the ground. But otherwise, he's the king. He's calling the shots. Uh, but then what happens one day is the people of Israel look around them and they say, hey man, like all these kids around us have, all these nations around us have kings. We want a king too. And so they, they go to the prophet Samuel and they say, hey, give us a king. And Samuel says, dude, you don't, you don't want a king. Okay, I know all the cool kids are doing it, but you don't want a king. Like he's going to tax you, he's going to oppress you. He's, you know, Samuel's like the first Ron Paul and he's just like, you, you, you don't want a king. And uh, and so uh, the people say, no, 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 tell God to hook us up with a king. Samuel says, all right. And so he anoints Saul as king. And so Saul becomes the first king of Israel, and he is useless. He is not a good king, doesn't get the job done well. 
incredibly insecure. And, and a couple years into his reign, though, he's got to step up. He's got to take action in some ways. What happens is uh, another ancient people group, the Philistines, start to occupy the nation of Israel. And they come in and they take over a couple cities and they're, they're setting up camp there and hanging out. And so Saul, as the king, has got to get an army together and, and drive them out. And so he does that, uh, but he goes to drive them out, and he doesn't go into battle, but his son goes into battle first and actually drives them out. And, and Jonathan is successful and drives the Philistines out, and, and Saul then takes all the credit for this victory and, and blows the horns, and, and it's all exciting. Now the Philistines have been driven out, and they're like, all right, fine, you're going to drive out this small group of people, we're going to get a bigger army of people, and we're going to come in to Israel full force. So they send an army of 30,000 chariots, and 6,000 other troops, either on horseback or walking. So uh, an army of 36,000 people. Israel at this time had an army of 3,000 people. Okay? So you have 36,000 to 3,000. And so when this army comes, the Israelite army freaks out. They hide in the caves, and they've been there for a week. And, and Saul starts to lose trust with the troops. And they start to say, who is this guy? Is he going to be able to help us? Are we going to be able to get out of this? And so Saul says, okay, you know, he references uh, Karl Marx and says, religion is the opiate of the masses, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some religious activity, going to make everybody happy. And so he, uh, he offers a sacrifice to God to, to tell people like, hey, uh, God's with us. God was not happy about that, that he, he used him um, as a tool, as a means to an end. And so God gets mad at him. The prophet Samuel gets mad at him. And Saul's in trouble. He's freaking out. Guys are losing their faith. And, and so now it's 36,000 to 3,000. The odds are stacked against God's people. The king is freaking out. And we get to our text for today. Okay, so that's the whole context. Y'all with me? That was a lot. We're hanging in there? Okay, very good. Um, so we get to our text today and we see that Jonathan recognizes that they're in insurmountable odds, but instead of like his father who freaks out, Jonathan chooses to fight. He chooses to step up. And so we see in this text that Jonathan shows us how to pick a fight. And there's three steps to it because it's helpful for us to think that way. Uh, you initiate, overcome obstacles, resist enemies. Initiate, overcome obstacles, resist enemies. That's what we're going to see. And so let's look at how Jonathan does this. First, he initiates. Look with me at verse 1. It says this, One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And so Jonathan knows the enemy is great, but he's sick of hiding. He's, he's sick of tucking his tail between his legs. So he says to his armor-bearer, Hey, let's get going. 36,000 to 3,000. Let's go, man. Let's see what happens. Let's just see what happens. Let's just go. And so Jonathan initiates. He has, he has courage. He says, let's go. And so that's a lesson for us. Whatever it is that, that God has you in a fight with or for or against, initiate. Take the first step. Choose action. So if it's a fight against sin, take the first step to cut that out of your life. If you're fighting for your marriage, take the first step to make that right. You gotta speak the truth in love. Take the first step to do that. Maybe that's just saying a prayer. But whatever it is, initiate. Take the first step. That's how you pick a fight. There's a lady who's part of our church who, uh, for her job, she visits uh, young families in, in our community and she, she helps teach them how to raise their kids well so that they uh, can succeed in life and do well in school. And she noticed uh, that she was visiting some, some teen moms and, and that these, these teen mothers were not going back to school after they had their babies. And so uh, she initiated. This last spring, she initiated, and, and what she did is she told someone. She said, hey, this is a problem here. And so now, since she initiated, uh, we're just waiting on the LISD to get back to us 
to figure out what it looks like for us to partner with them to open up a teen parent child care center. And that in the meantime, as we've waited, there's been a family that's initiated. And they said, hey, we believe this to be a good idea. And so they gave us $30,000 unsolicited of seed money. And then we have another team that's working tirelessly to collect grants so that the second we get the all clear from the LISD, we're able to get this teen parent child care center up and running and offer free child care to these moms. All because one lady initiated, we can fight against a lack of education for teen moms. All because one family initiated, we can fight against a lack of education for teen moms. Last spring, I met with a young man, and he and I were talking about how one in three uh, kids in our generation, uh, millennials, those born between 1982 and 1995, one in three would classify themselves uh, religiously as, as not religious, just unaffiliated completely, one in three, a third. And, uh, and we said, man, that's, that's not good. And, and we'd love to create a space for people who maybe have questions, who maybe wouldn't come to a normal church, who maybe wouldn't know what to do in a regular setting. We'd love to create a space where they could feel comfortable and welcomed and ask questions. And so this young man said, you know what, I've got to finish my studies next year, but I, I would love to start a, a worship venue uh, in a coffee shop so that people can come and explore God and hear his word. And so we can fight against spiritual apathy now because one young man initiated initiate. That's the first step to picking a fight is initiating. Step one. But as we consider this text, we see that initiating isn't enough to get the job done. First we initiate, but then we have to overcome obstacles. Y'all look with me at verses 6 through 10 in our text. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead, I am with you heart and soul. Jonathan said, come on then, we will cross over toward them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. And so Jonathan clearly has some obstacles to overcome as he's picking this fight, right? First of all, he has to travel from his hideout to the Philistine camp. That's a a five-mile distance in open land where he's exposed to all sorts of danger. But then once he gets there, he's got to figure out, well, what am I going to do? It's 36,000 guys to two, right? What are we going to do when that happens? He's got some obstacles. But as we see, as Jonathan faces these obstacles, he does it with great faith. He does it with great faith, and not great faith in himself and in his abilities, but great faith in God and his deliverance. His father, the king's freaking out. He's massively outnumbered, but Jonathan says this. Did you guys catch this? He says, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving He has a faith that clings to God's faithfulness despite the obstacles that are in front of him. He has a faith that clings to God's faithfulness despite the obstacles that are in front of him. And so as we enter into our fights, wherever God's placed you, we need to recognize that we need to cling to God's faithfulness despite the obstacles that are in front of us. That's the only thing that's going to pull us through them. That's the only thing that's going to carry us through them. Here's what I mean. Uh, My best friend from seminary is a guy named Josh. And uh, he's uh, planting a church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, like many cities in our country, unfortunately, it's a a racially divided city. 
and a racially segregated city. And so when he moved there with his young family, uh, he, he uh, decided uh, that he was going to plant a church as a white guy. He was going to plant a church in a predominantly black neighborhood in Alton Park. Uh, because that's what this city needed, and that's what the church needed to do. But he faced all sorts of obstacles going into that. Right? First of all, the, the community didn't accept him at first. They didn't trust him at first. And then his denominational uh, leadership that, that he was working under uh, said, you know, you've got to plant somewhere else. It's not going to work there. It's just going to fail. It's unsustainable. It's, it's just not going to happen. You're not the right guy for it. But he kept pressing on. And so throughout the past year, through presence and love and service, he actually began to build credibility in this community, in this neighborhood. And, and they were getting ready to launch their church. Uh, but then the week before they were going to launch their church, the violence and the protests and the, the racial tensions blew up in Ferguson, Missouri. You guys remember that week? And I mean, it's still going on. So it happened the week he's supposed to plant this church. And he did it anyways. In the midst of deep racial tension across the country in a racially divided city, he said, this is my fight. This is what God's called me to. And he launched Bridge City Community in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, the local paper actually wrote up an article about it. And I just want to share some of it with you. It's a little long, but it's, it's good. It says this. He could hardly ignore the issue. Standing in front of a mix of black and white faces, Josh Woodrow quickly pivoted his Sunday morning sermon to the racial unrest in Ferguson, Missouri. It should come as no surprise that Woodrow, a white man, would dive headfirst into the issues of institutionalized racism and systemic segregation. After all, he's built his church, Bridge City Community, in Alton Park, a mostly black neighborhood known for high crime, subsidized housing, and poor performing schools. From the beginning, the idea of racial reconciliation has been a core tenet of the church. Two days before, he rewrote his Sunday sermon to incorporate Ferguson. He preached on justice, how man deserves death. Adam and Eve have committed the world's first sin, Woodrow said, but all of mankind continues to destroy God's creation. Every time someone like Michael Brown gets shot, that's another rip in the wholeness of the world, he said. Racial profiling and segregation, whether it's in St. Louis or Chattanooga, is another tear in the kingdom of God. But with Jesus there is hope, he preached. Before a church member performed a Christian rap song, Woodrow led his fledgling flock in prayer. He prayed for comfort, peace, and hope, and for courage. Courage for his church to be bold here in Chattanooga. And Woodrow is nothing if not bold. He knows that this won't be easy, especially for a white guy from California with a handlebar mustache. Um, I think we have a picture of it. Do we have a picture? Oh, you can't see the mustache as well, but it's gorgeous. Um, and uh, where'd I go? But he says that it's time for white Christians to do something. To not only seek racial harmony, but to ask for forgiveness. He went so far as to pen an apology to black Christians admitting that the church here has tolerated and perpetuated racial injustice. He posted in public housing sites and handed it out on the streets. I sincerely repent of the sins of my fathers and the pastors before me who failed to pursue reconciliation in this city, he wrote. We have sinned against you by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you, our neighbors, as ourselves. For him, focusing on race comes down to a simple truth. The kingdom of God is anything but segregated, he said. So it's crazy that our churches and communities still are. Friends, you want to pick a fight 
You want to pick a fight. You want to pick a fight with sin in your own life, with your own apathy, or you want to pick a fight for your family, or you want to pick a fight against some sort of injustice that's going on in the world. There's going to be obstacles, right? And the only thing that pulls you through those obstacles, the only thing that has the strength to carry you through the obstacles that come in the way is trust in the faithfulness of God, that he will provide, that he does show up. And let me be clear here, I'm not offering some piece of self-help advice or to say, hey, when things get tough, look up, all right? This is not the footsteps poem, all right? Give me a break. You think Jonathan went to face 36,000 enemy soldiers and said, well, now it's time to let go and let God? I don't think so. You think my buddy Josh is, is pursuing racial reconciliation in, in, in the midst of systemic segregation because he thinks it's just a, a cool progressive idea? No. And this is a faith that's deep in your bones. This is a faith that sinks deep. It's a matter of trusting God's faithfulness regardless of the size of the fight that you're in. It's trusting God to provide regardless of the fight that you're in. It's about having deep convictions about who God is and what he's all about. And clinging on to those in the midst of wherever God's called you. And it's that kind of faith that not only helps us overcome obstacles, but it helps us resist enemies. And so how do we get that kind of faith? Look with me at our next couple verses. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. And so Jonathan and his armor bearer, they approached the Philistines, uh, kind of the, the outpost, the guard outpost. And the Philistines mocked them and say, hey, come on up here and we'll teach you a thing or two, Sonny. And, and I love this part of the story because it's like you can almost see a smile creep across Jonathan's face, right? Like he looks over at his armor bearer, he's like, oh, it is on, son. And he's like, the, the, the Lord is going to provide. The victory is his. God has delivered them into our hands. He's like, it's happening. He talks about it as if they've already won this battle. It's a foregone conclusion. It's like the Packers winning the Super Bowl. Like, it's just going to happen, right? No one? Okay. Um, and it does, man. Jonathan and his armor bearer get to the top, and they clean house. And now they don't beat 36,000 dudes, but the 20 guards that are out there, they clean house. Jonathan resists his enemies. How does he do it? By recognizing that it's already won. By recognizing that the victory is already taken care of. See, Christians, we have that same hope. That the victory is already won. That it's already taken care of. That there's, there's literally no enemy that you would face that Jesus hasn't already beaten. That the victory is already yours. And let me be clear when I say this, though, because sometimes words like that get twisted in the American church. I'm not saying, like, Name it and claim it. I'm not some televangelist, you know, like donate to my private jet fund and, and uh, then you'll have victory in Jesus. No, I'm saying that in the death and resurrection of Jesus, he beats any enemy that we would face. He takes out any real enemy that we would face, sin, death, and the devil. He's going to be at the root of whatever we're fighting against. He's going to be at the base of whatever we're fighting against. Because whatever your fight is, your enemy's not going to be other people. Right? For the Christian, that's just not the case. 
says very clearly, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the Spirit. The fight is always against sin, death, and the devil. But see, we know that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has beaten all those things. And so if you're fighting against sin, recognize that Jesus beat sin on the cross. That he paid the price for any sin you commit, any thing that you wrestle with, that you struggle with, it's already covered over in God's grace and with his forgiveness. That it's taken care of, that Jesus pays the price for it. And that when Jesus rose from the grave, he beat death forever. And so any injustice, any brokenness we see in our world is not going to be that way forever. That one day Jesus is coming back and he's going to heal everything. That the justice we long for and the right way of living we long for, Jesus is going to bring. He's going to bring wholeness and completeness. And so if you're fighting against injustice right now, recognize that Jesus is coming to make all things new. And finally, the devil has no power in your life. That Jesus has claimed you as his own. That he said, you're my kid, you're my child. I love you. You're not going anywhere. And he's given you his spirit. And so you can listen to that spirit. You can trust in that spirit as you seek to fight for your relationships. As you seek for grace and truth and love to reign true in your relationships, you can listen to his spirit. You see, there's no true enemy. There's no root enemy in your life that Jesus hasn't already beaten. And so look to him in your fight. So as we close, let me say this. Some of you may be like, well, Gabe, that's cool. Uh, but that seems a bit abstract, a little out there, a little ethereal. Uh, so what is that? how does that actually work? How does it actually work that Jesus has the victory and we trust in him and whatever our fights are? What does that actually look like? How does that play out? Well, let me give you an example. Look around you. Ten years ago, uh, there was a group of people in Lakeway, Texas that decided to pick a fight. Ten years ago. And the fight they picked was the lack of Christ's presence in their community. Said, he's not here. We've got to bring him here. And they were in that fight for six years, fledgling, trying to stay alive, trying to pay the bills. And after six years, they finally started to see some growth, started to see some change. And as soon as that happened, they said, you know what? We should plant another church. We should get another community where the gospel's proclaimed. And so two years ago, they uh, decided to call a wildly inexperienced and arrogant young man, albeit handsome, uh, from, from, from St. Louis, Missouri, uh, to plant a new church in Leander, Texas. And about nine months after he moved down here, 28 other crazies decided to walk alongside him to help start a new church called X Church Leander. And a year ago today, this new church launched. And in the past year, we've seen Jesus' victory at work. Have we not? We've seen two teenagers get baptized and brought into his family. We've seen enemies become friends. We've seen people who have either never had a church home or haven't had a church home for a long time find a community that loves them and cares for them. We've seen strangers become family. Last week, we saw him start a new worshiping community at Axe Antioch. And we've, send, we've seen him send people out in love and service to our community and the world in hundreds of different ways. See, that's Jesus' victory. 
That's the fight he's won. we're, We're in a fight that we've already won. And so he gets all the glory and he gets all the praise and he gets all the honor because it's all about him. I mean, I literally, I, I think about this, that there's, there's no other reason that we're here this morning. There's no other reason that we're here this morning than because Jesus Christ is real and is at work. There's no other reason. There's nothing attractive about our church, right? We're in a gym. I still don't know what I'm doing, right? Like, there's no reason we should exist except for the faithfulness of God. Except for the fact that he's provided for us and shown up again and again and again. He's beaten sin, death, and the devil. And so won't you trust him in your fight too? Won't you trust him in your fight too? Let me close with these words from St. Paul. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. If you all please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends in whatever fights they're facing, whatever battles are before them, I ask that you would would help them fight well, whether it's sin in their life, whether it's fighting for their relationships, whether it's it's, uh, fighting to to make things right in this world. God, I pray you'd give them strength and courage, but Lord, may it not be a strength and courage that comes from ourselves and our abilities, but one that comes from you. And Lord, may we look to what Jesus has done for us. May we rest in his grace and in his mercy. God, we thank you for your faithfulness, not only for this past year, but always. Lord, you're always faithful. Teach us to rest in that grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axechurchleander.com.